Hey everyone, it's Heather. I'm so excited about our new resource for single women, Authentically You. One of the most challenging parts of life is navigating relationships. This can be especially true for women who have been tainted by negative sexual experiences and mistakes from their past, or when the struggle with porn and masturbation takes hold and won't let go. This leaves them feeling distant from God, separated by the weight of shame and regret. If this is you, you're not alone. Authentically You was written specifically for single and college-aged women, those who are on the working career path and those who are in college. This 20-lesson curriculum is easily adaptable to a busy work schedule or a college semester system. Through this group experience, you'll explore how your past pain and trauma contribute to distorted beliefs and an unhealthy thought life. You'll uncover the role your family of origin plays in your past and current behaviors and address the issues that perpetuate compulsive and addictive patterns. And through the use of weekly exercises, strategic tools, and self-care focus, you'll learn how to live in health, how to live as your true, authentic self. I know God has a plan for your life to bring you to a place of health and wholeness. If you allow it, God will do amazing things in you and through you. So pre-order today, Authentically You. Go to puredesire.org A-Y. That's puredesire.org A-Y. Welcome to the Pure Desire Podcast, where we partner with you to bring hope and freedom on your journey to purity. Hey guys, this is Dr. Ted Roberts. I hope you'll join me on September the 15th at Good Shepherd Community Church for a Pure Desire Men's Conference, a time where you can pursue a life of integrity, strength, and leave a legacy of real significance. Learn to really kick the enemy's tail. To register, go to puredesire.org forward slash events. Enjoy the podcast. Hey there, I'm your host, Trevor Windsor, and we're so thankful you're taking time out of your day to hang out with us. I'm here, as always, with my co-host, Nick Stumbo. Dobrodošli. You've done that one before. Have I? Yep. I, You know, I thought maybe I had, like, episode four or five, but if, if others remember, kudos to them. But, you know, Bosnian is closely related to Croatian, and mm-hmm. Croatia was recently in the World Cup final, the second smallest country ever to reach it, so I had to bring it back as a nod to Croatia. So there you go. Uh, people may hate me for this, but I really don't care about anything that you just said. So we're going to move Ooh, on. Alienate uh, all the soccer fans. That's fine. It's called football in some countries. So anyways, joining us today are two of our clinicians, Bob and Rebecca Vandermeer. They're some of our favorite people. We love them and we're blessed to have them with us today. Thanks for being here, guys. Yes. Thank you for having us back. Any Croatian? Do you guys speak Croatian? You guys could throw it in there if you want. No, sorry. Okay. Well, anyways... Uh, Today, we're going to be talking about sex during recovery. So the recovery process from sexual addiction, we know is one of the most difficult things a couple can go through. And the thought of having sex at all during that process can be a point of tension in a marriage. So Bob and Rebecca have been through the recovery process and can speak really from their own experience. And then also, uh, we're looking forward to hearing from your expertise as Pure Desire clinicians. So with that, guys, let's just jump in with this first question. And why is it why is it that sex is such a difficult topic during the recovery process? Yeah, uh, I mean, obviously, this question is pointed towards the recovery process with sexual addiction. So uh, if anybody comes to Pure Desire, into the office, joins the Seven Pillars group, a Betrayal and Beyond group, it's because there was something that happened sexually along the way that created some problems. So, I mean, right off the bat, like this is already a sensitive issue. Uh, there's a lot of people, a lot of couples that, um, you know, they can't even bring up the topic of sex 
because it has been so charged with um, trauma and pain from mm-hmm. past in the relationship. Uh, so I think just starting with that, I mean, that's, that's the reason they're having a conversation is because there was something bad or broken or painful that happened along the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It feels like, like sex is the problem, right? That's like, that's what we come to is it's like, it, it must not be an addiction. The, our brain naturally goes to, it's about sex. That's what it's about. And so we need to like figure this out before that's even addressed anymore. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And even with, with single, you know, people that are sitting in group that want to be able to work towards healthy sexuality. I mean, there's questions in, in the weekly check-in that ask about like, what have you done to work, to work towards sexual health? Uh, you know, for them, they're thinking, man, well, what, I don't know, what did I, did I do anything this week to work towards sexual health? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, even if it doesn't matter if you're married or if you're single in this process, like sex is on your mind. uh, And it is, you know, a kind of a a difficult issue to talk about and work around. I know for us, uh, in our experience, walking through the healing journey, it was really a challenge um, to approach the topic of sex during recovery, because my addiction had been so image driven. And images, you know, can sit in the mind, and we can have them there for many, many years or decades. And so even though we were developing some healthy practices, and Uh, my wife was engaged in the process, there's still that element of, I don't know what's on your mind. I don't know what you're thinking. I can't see. And so that bring that factor into our sex life. And it's like, well, I I don't know what you're thinking about when we're together. I mean, you can tell me your mind's just on me, but how do I know? And so just that trust factor being so broken was really a big deal for us. And it was something we had to talk through quite a bit. Right. And you know, like for, for me personally, even thinking as you guys are sharing and thinking, about everybody that's involved in this whole process. Um, for me personally, coming into the recovery process as a spouse of a sex addict and in the process realizing that I had an addiction myself and being a love addict, being able to even just address sex and be confronted with what does that even look like for me as a female um, with a love addiction. And so just for a lot of spouses that come into the counseling program or groups, um, a lot of them don't know that they have, Mm -hmm. that they may have an addiction, that they may have some um, uh, interrupted or disturbed images or concepts about sex um, because so much is is to blame on what's more outwardly, externally obvious on the spouse. I'm pointing at my husband as if everybody could see me, but anyway, (laughs) Uh, but yeah, so for a lot of us women, even to it's just uh, as uh, it's it's a difficult topic, even in terms of what you br- what you each bring, mm-hmm. or, you know, what the recovering sex addict brings, but then also what may come up for you as a woman in this process, and what you bring in the concepts and the ideas that you have about sex. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Well, you guys, I'm really excited about this episode because I think there's probably a lot of people that are going to tune in and listen, and this is a real area of question and of unknowns and. There's maybe not a lot of paradigms out there of what this looks like. So could you guys kind of give us a general overview of what what role does sex or what role should sex have during the recovery process? Could you kind of just walk through what it what role it should have? So the role that sex should have in the recovery process should be a um, what it should not be. Let me just say it this way. What it should not be is um, the measure of intimacy for a couple Hmm. um what is the role that it should play is um the extension of an emotional intimacy that is developed between the couple which takes takes time and a lot of the times you know uh, 
uh, with our clients and people that we talk to just in general, they address the word intimacy and it's always kind of understood that they're talking about sex. Um, but at the end of the day, when we look at the bottom line of things, intimacy really is about emotional intimacy. And so then the role that sex should play in the recovery system for couples should be that extension, that added part of the emotional intimacy that has been built. Yeah. We have like this, this, there's always this, this change or relearning of vocabulary mm -hmm. for, I think everybody that enters into recovery, whether it's an addict or spouse or a single person, but, uh, and I, maybe it's more in the church, I don't know, but this idea that intimacy, like we use the word intimate, intimacy interchangeably with sex. Mm -hmm. And so uh, they'll, they'll say, yeah, you know, we were intimate last week. Uh, and I was like, and so I was asked, well, I'm so, do you mean you had sex? And yeah, right. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, yes, we had sex. Okay. Yes, Bob, so, that's what I'm talking about. Yes. yes. Uh, uh, so, so we, we try and, and even kind of retrain to use that word differently, mm -hmm. uh, because really what we're working on is the development of emotional intimacy and the role that sex should play is as something that's built on top of that right. yeah. as, mm -hmm. as opposed to separate from it. Mm -hmm. So what I hear you guys saying, if I could summarize, is that rather than sex being the focus of recovery or the measuring stick, sex becomes the outcome of good work that's happening. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you should have just said that, Nick. <laughs> well, you did. I'm just summarizing what you guys said. That's so right. way to go. That's right. So uh, we get this question a, a lot, um, a lot, you know, from specifically from spouses, betrayed spouses, but the idea of withholding sex, and you've got the the passage that talks about that in scripture that is easily used. And so I just wanted to ask you guys, is it okay during the recovery process to withhold sex? Woo, that's a, that's a doozy. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, that the question withhold, obviously that's, I mean, that's a very charged right. word. Mm -hmm. And this does come up a lot with, with people that are in recovery to say, yeah. um, one, as a spouse, should I be withholding this from them? Mm -hmm. uh, or oftentimes for spouses being afraid to withhold because then they're going to go act out someplace mm, yeah. else. And well, yeah. I would rather they just have sex with me. Right. And so it becomes a very um, challenging uh, idea. But really, I guess what, what this question presupposes is that sex has not up until that point been healthy in their relationship. Mm -hmm. That's right. And and they may say, well, no, I mean, our, our sex life has been really healthy. Well, what does that mean? Well, yeah, mm -hmm. we were having sex a lot. Okay. So again, now we have these, this other concept of right. that, that frequency equals health. And that's not the case. We'll get to that later. But um, so the question of, is it okay to withhold sex during the recovery process? Uh, uh, not if it's punitive. Right. And so for a lot of people, it becomes like, okay, this is a way for me to punish you for what you've done hmm. by withholding it. Mm -hmm. uh, but then also not if it's not if sex is done out of obligation, because that's what they deserve. I mean, there's just there's a whole reset that has to happen with sex. Mm -hmm. And so um, uh, to summarize, the idea, I think, is uh, it's not even it, it's a false question right. uh, because because withholding sex would imply that you deserve it. Right. Hmm. And it would, it would imply that, mm -hmm. um, that this is something that is required in marriage. Right. Uh, as opposed to what we just said on the other question or what Nick said so eloquently, that, that sex becomes uh, the byproduct of a healthy relationship. Mm -hmm. Which then, in, you know, in your process as a couple, 
um, oftentimes, or pretty much with all of our clients, we do recommend a period of abstinence, which then plays a whole different role. And we'll talk about this uh, later on today, but just, you know, that the two ideas are very different. And yet the abstinence period could play and, and does play a huge role in the healing and recovery process of, of sex addiction. So to follow up on something you just said, Bob, because I think it's a really important topic for a lot of couples that saying sex shouldn't be out of obligation. And there may be some spouses listening who would say, you know, I right now, because of what's gone on or the wounding, I never feel like having sex and I only give it because I feel obligated to, to help them stay on track. What kind of advice or encouragement could you give to someone that maybe just that's their emotional reality right now? I don't want sex, but I give it because I feel obligated. What should they yeah. do? What could they do? Yeah. Uh, call the Pure Desire office. <laughs> Ask for Nick Stumbo. <laughs> Whoa, no, Bob and Rebecca. Oh, got it, got it, right. And, yeah, and, and talk about some counseling. Uh, no, I, I uh, so there, there's a pendulum that swings either from, you know, what would be kind of like hypersexual to sexually anorexic. And we see this with a lot of people. And, and so what, what we see is that both, um, you know, both swings of that pendulum end up being uh, the byproduct of some brokenness. Mm -hmm. And so as we see people uh, come to some health and healing and some recovery and some restoration, then they begin to feel safer. So maybe they, you know, they don't want to have sex, but they do it out, out of obligation. A lot of times that's because they don't feel safe in the relationship mm -hmm. or because they don't yeah. feel safe sexually. Yeah. And um, so the work that they're doing on their own personal health, they usually end up finding some more balance in that. Right. Uh, but again, and I think we'll get to this on another question, frequency does not equal health. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. Well, I, I like the point you're making that really the focus being put on helping both spouses feel safe, to feel safe and secure about entering in to that sexual relationship and that union. And so people bring um, to a marriage, and especially when there's been addiction and these issues have come to the surface, they then have a lot of fears, um, a lot of past wounding. So what are some thoughts along those lines? How can a couple address fears they have or past wounding or that lack of trust when it comes to reestablishing their sexual connection? Yeah, uh, great question. I, I, a lot of people become so focused on sex mm -hmm. that they fail to see or are not able to see whatever brokenness or trauma or pain is getting in the way of their sex. And so I think probably a good way to do that is to not focus on sex but instead to enter into the recovery process to look at, you know, what are some of the lies that you believed about yourself or um, about, you know, the opposite sex? Um, what have you learned uh, about, you know, trust and uh, being able to trust not just your spouse, but the people around you? So to really enter into the recovery process to just work on yourself, because sex, sex isn't the issue that, you know, as far as sex addiction goes, like it has more to do with what pain and fear mm -hmm. and trauma than it has to do with sex. Mm -hmm. So equally with this, if there's some some issues within your sex life as a as a couple, that has more to do with the same thing with the pain with pain and fear and trauma in your past than it actually usually has to do with sex. So you know if there's some fear there, some pain, uh, then to address that, but don't make sex the issue. Well, mm -hmm. and I feel like so often. This has just been my experience, you know, going from a single guy who was struggling with it, going into marriage and, and, and addressing it early on in my, my, my addiction early on in my marriage 
there wasn't a lot of communication about sex. Like there's this kind of, this cloud of shame that kind of covers it, even in the church, even in Christian couples that we can't really talk about it. We can't communicate it. And it's just something that's so interesting to me. And I think that it's something that goes overlooked, that if you begin to communicate about sex and communicate about those fears and about those wounds and about um, really the lack of trust or how you're feeling in those moments, that can really help that emotional intimacy that you guys are talking about, that I actually know how my spouse feels. I actually know what fears that they have. And there feels like there's a closeness and an understanding that happens, but that can't happen without communication. Right. And being able to have the same language in a sense, to Mm. speak the same language as a couple, you know, so that's why this whole process is important for the couple to go through together. um, So Mm -hmm. that as they work through their own, um, individual self, um, they can speak the same language as they try to communicate or learn how to communicate uh, about sex, because then there's, there's room for empathy. There's room for grace mm-hmm. uh, because they're both being able to understand what each other is going through and learning and, you know, and discovering about themselves. And so it goes a long way to be able to address this together mm-hmm. as opposed yeah. to each getting help individually. Yeah. And the the single people listening might not right. like what right. I, what, what I'm about to say, but uh, <laughs> I think your ears. They, but i think in a a sense that uh, if you're single and you're and you're wanting to develop uh healthy sexuality for yourself that that you actually kind of have a a, in a sense a better you're at a better spot to develop this for future relationships Mm uh because for you like not having sex is part of your recovery so you're so you're working towards not having sex uh but then that leaves the only thing really for you to work on is past wounding, lack of trust, you know, trauma from the past. Uh, So, you know, when you sit down in your seven pillars group or your betrayal and beyond group or your eight pillars group or, you know, behind the mask or whatever, when you're sitting down in that group and you're working on past trauma, you're actually working on being sexually healthy, Mm -hmm. even though they might thematically seem like two totally separate things. Yeah, they're not. Yeah. 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 And so again, for a lot of, a lot of married people, as they're sitting in their recovery group, it's like my trauma and stuff and my recovery work is here, but then healthy sexuality is over here with my wife and it's a different, or my, you know, my spouse and it's a totally different thing, but being in recovery and working on this stuff is working towards sexual health. You know, as you guys were sharing, Bob, it occurs to me, there's some parallels here between working on sleeping better that if I go and try to work really hard on sleeping and get really focused on it, I'm, I'm actually distorting it and it's going to actually be harder to sleep. Versus uh-huh. if I put my focus on other things like calming myself down, not using devices late at night, creating a peaceful environment, then sleep is something that comes as a byproduct of that. And what you guys were saying about don't make sex the focus, that the more we like try to force it and make it happen and create that connection, it's like it'll twist the relationship and it won't work. Whereas if we focus on the emotional connection and learning to serve one another in love and being aware of each other's needs, uh, then sex becomes the byproduct of that, and it can happen out of the relationship we're building. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So obviously, sex during the recovery process doesn't usually end up on the top of the priority list, especially for the betrayed spouse. Um, and sometimes, you know, I, I could see how some addicted spouses as well would be like, "I need to just avoid it right now because that maybe is just making it worse." Um, so practically speaking, when a couple understands that, you know, they need to become more emotionally intimate and close and that sex needs to be a part of that recovery process, what are some, some things that couples can do practically to make sex a priority? 
Yeah, you know, this is exactly uh, where we'll expand a little bit on what I mentioned a few minutes ago in terms of the abstinence period. This is where um, those two, sex and emotional intimacy, are one, right, or should be one. Mm -hmm. That should be the role. And so to be able to build that um, that emotional intimacy so that then sex can follow up or be as a result of that emotional intimacy, then this is when we recommend a, an abstinence period for the couple so that it's very specific. Um, the time frame is very specific, whether it's, you know, the couple will agree to that, whether it's a month, three months, six months, whatever the couple wants and feels comfortable with, with the purpose of then focusing on the emotional intimacy, um, with the purpose of then um, resetting the button of their sex life in a sense. And so um, that would be one of the main ways that uh, a couple can make it a priority. And it's, it's coming to the agreement of, okay, let's let's reset the button. Let's have a period of abstinence with the purpose of connecting emotionally, of learning how to do that. And so in ways that you could do that, um, uh, clearly um, just having more dates where there's no more, you know, mm -hmm. uh, physical uh, connection in the sense of the sex. However, we do encourage a lot of the physical touch non-sexual embraces mm -hmm. i remember when robert and i were um getting counseling from ted he would he told us to he actually assigned us to give each other hugs one minute long hugs non-sexual hugs actually mm -hmm. embraces and so that was it seemed like oh sure we'll take it we'll do it but it was really awkward and so to be able to have <laughs> it's so awkward hug. to hug my spouse for yeah. a minute that's so weird one, hug, one yeah. whole minute yeah. of a hug non-sexual no no grabbing yeah. no nothing no you know butt, like no butt grabbing. it's no like butt it's grabbing. like high school prom when you know the dad is the chauffeur it's like you know hands above the waist yeah got it and it, go, it goes a long way. So so it, it just, there's a list of things that you can, you know, come up with as a couple or with your counselor to say, OK, these are some practical things that we can do and focus on holding hands. You know, just so many things that you could do that will help towards building that emotional intimacy. Yeah. Usually when we bring up when we use the word abstinence, mm -hmm. uh, whoever the whichever the addict is, the look on their face okay. is like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and uh and it's almost like this response of like no i'll die <laughs> and, and, and i think you know quite literally for most addicts mm -hmm. the the belief yeah. is that without whatever it is heroin cocaine alcohol sex i'm going to die right. i can't survive without this right and uh so what's interesting though is that they've been able to identify that in all these other mm -hmm. areas of, of recovery and sexuality like okay i shouldn't look at porn and masturbate I shouldn't go to the adult bookstore. I shouldn't, you know, right. pay for sex. But then when you say, yeah, you should have an absence period of sex with your spouse, they look like, like what? No, no. Uh, but the reality is, is that if they've been engaged in their sexual addictive behavior for mm -hmm. 20 years, let's mm -hmm. just say, and they've been married for 10 and they've still been a sex addict for those 10, yeah. that means that like the only thing that's been consistent has been their sex addiction. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the reality is that their spouse has just been added into yeah. uh, whatever cycle of behaviors they sure. have. And, and as horrible as that sounds for most people, that's the reality yeah. that in some way that their spouse becomes a stand in mm -hmm. for whatever their behavior has been. Yeah. And so, so really sex in the relationship has always been out of place. Mm -hmm. Like it, it, it's, it's never been able to be about the two of them connecting there's always been some connection with that also with the addictive behavior. And so abstinence, being able to say, let's just stop. 
let's just pause mm-hmm. and be able to to re-examine this and to and to you know have this have a new role and a healthy place in our relationship mm-hmm. is really monumental. Yeah, absolutely. You know, something that I heard Dr. Ted say once that I'll never forget, um, and I think it was during a PDU. A PD University event, he talked about the idea that some addicts use their spouse as a masturbation machine. Uh, and I just remember how vivid and how uncomfortable that imagery made me feel. But that's what you're talking about. You're just right. using that person as, uh, you're just using them as a tool in your addiction. Yeah. Usually that's the phrase that I use, but I left it out. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, absolutely. I mean, uh, and yeah, and whatever, whatever they're acting out is their, their spouse just becomes a replacement for that. Yeah. Well, it's such powerful advice because when we're stuck in an addiction, we can get to a place where, um, every touch we start to think, oh, is that going to lead to sex or every compliment from our spouse? Like, oh, they're in the mood for sex. Every date is supposed to lead to sex. Every, it's just such a connection that in a marriage, we can't enjoy those little things for what they are. Um, like a compliment can just be a compliment and to enjoy it. Like, man, that's really awesome that my wife complimented my good looks today without thinking, Oh, maybe we're going to have sex later. And then if we don't feeling let down, it, it just becomes so wrapped up in our thinking that to disengage and get to a healthy place of, I'm able to offer physical touch and compliments and quality time and date nights that don't have to lead to sex builds that foundation of marriage that then on the occasions it does, we appreciate it for what it is as opposed to always being the goal. So, um, yeah, that's, that's a huge one for couples to, to realize and to work through. Yeah. And that's as a, as a woman too, exactly, exactly what you're saying, Nick, it's exactly the same for, for us women. I can relate to that as well, you know, for any touch, any show of appreciation, any, you know, any physical touch or, um, show of, of love, uh, to be able to get to the point of knowing that, well, my husband loves me for who I am and not, he's not seeking, he's not wanting anything from me. And then, which if that wasn't the case, it would potentially put me on a defense mode to reject and, you know, be on the defense. Um, so just be able to get to that point of, he's just holding my hand. He, you know, he said whatever he said, or, um, and still be able to just feel loved. And even for a lot of us to be able to get to the point of um, wanting to initiate something more than that and and not be the ones that are getting, you know, scared or afraid of that coming from our husband. Uh, it goes a long way for sure. Yeah. And I think it's important also for the addict during that time to realize or to notice how much of their behavior is sexually driven. Mm. You know, that that their that their hugs are sexually motivated. Mm-hmm. That their that their looks are that you know whatever it is and we you know there's nobody that there's nobody that I know of that has participated in an abstinence period and and has pursued emotional intimacy during that time where at the end of it they say man that was a waste of time yeah yeah every single person that that we know mm. that has that has so participated good. that has pursued emotional oh, intimacy at the end yeah. of it they said that was amazing that was the and best that was thing we've done that was yeah. yeah that was really important and I'm so glad we did that. Yeah. And none of them died. <laughs> Good. Glad you kept that. The uh, statistics are 100% of survival yeah. from Beer Desire Counseling. And you know what? Sorry. Can we add one more thing onto that? Of course. Sure. Uh, and it's it's the, and this is probably what will, uh, I'm sure a lot of uh, addicts will bring this up, uh, is the idea of blue balls. This is something that, that male addicts bring up. But what about this? This is a real thing. So I had a conversation with my urologist when I went in for a vasectomy about this topic. 
uh, because I thought I'm never going to sit with a urologist again and have the opportunity to do this. And uh, mm-hmm. what what his response was, was that that is a that physiologically that is a response to the frequency of use. In other words, like if you are using it a lot, then then your body is preparing a lot. Mm-hmm. And the less you use, the less preparation. Mm-hmm. And so for any, even for any guys that may have a fear of like, well, what if this happens? Well, that's only happening because of the frequency in which you've been using it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the abstinence will actually have an effect on that and that won't be an issue. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm, I'm glad you included that, Bob, because I do think that's a very practical thing that can be a stumbling block. Like I just can't go without it. Uh, yeah. But helping someone get through that period and realize, you know, this could lead to health and you can survive it. And you're not going to die. Your body's going to learn from yeah. it. That's, yeah. that's really encouraging. Yeah. So uh, as we talk about um, sex during recovery, very often couples are in two different places. Um, and it can be either spouse. One is very hesitant and one is very eager. And the conversation can always be very difficult to have because if, if the one who's eager brings it up, the other feels guilted or like you're pressuring me and then they don't even know how to talk about it. It leads to fights. So what kind of encouragement would you give to couples about what's the best way to communicate this? Where one is um, wishing there was more sex and wanting to ask for it, but not knowing how to do it without guilting or pressuring the other one who's being more hesitant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I think one of the things is that uh, if they haven't thought about an abstinence period to do that, because that is going to be a reset for both of them. If one person is pushing a lot and the other person is withdrawing a lot, it may be because that's been the dynamic during their relationship. Huh. And if that dynamic continues, yeah. then one person's going to feel like, well, I need to bring it up. And the other person's going to be kind of on the retreat always. And so that, you know, being able to take a reset period is really, is really helpful. Uh, the other thing is just, I think, being able to talk about it. And Rebecca mentioned this earlier about kind of using the same language. Mm-hmm. I know when we first got married, she asked me, uh, how often like would it be ideal to have sex? And and I think at that time I said something like like four times a week, something like that. Yeah, every other day. Yeah, something like every other something day. Something like that. Yeah. And, um, and so uh, what I meant was that I thought that it would be good if I wanted sex every other day. And that that was something that, you know, worked for us. Uh, But how she understood that was, or how I miscommunicated, Mm -hmm. is that I wanted it every other day. And so for the first several years of our marriage, you know, she she was believing that I wanted it every other day. And if that wasn't happening, then somehow she was failing. Mm -hmm. And that, like, our sex life wasn't wasn't what I wanted it to be. Uh, Until, um, you know, several years into our marriage, we, we, we talked about it again. And she brought that up. It's like, well, you want it every other day. And I was like, I don't want it every other day. Like, I can't. That's too much for me. And and so so all we did is just that just precipitated like a further conversation for us to say, well, like, what do you want? Like, Mm -hmm. what is expected? Uh, You know, what do you want? What do I want? And and how how do those things work? And it may be that that this couple just they've never really talked about that in in that open dialogue because they haven't felt safe to. Yeah. And beginning the process of recovery, you know, as as we get healthier as individuals, we actually become safer people mm-hmm. for those around us. So, mm-hmm. you know, um, husband and wife, like entering in, into their own recovery and health, they become safer. And these conversations, right. though they may not be easy, they're at least, you know, feel safer to have and they're more likely to have them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so uh, just, you know, to talk about it, what is it what is it that you actually expect um, or want or, you know, what is what is your expectation 
and um, make sure that you that you guys are speaking the same language. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's huge. Well, you guys have talked about really the idea of emotional intimacy being what's most important. So it's not that sex is the priority; it's that getting close emotionally, being intimate together in that way, is a priority. So uh, if sex isn't that priority, and emotional intimacy and emotional closeness is what are some practical ways you guys have kind of touched on a couple already but what are some more practical ways that couples can do that and increase that emotional intimacy yeah one of the things that i can think of that we uh that we have used and that we actually currently use and recommend to um, our clients is uh the gottman cards so the gottman institute um they have come up with a set of questions like called, cards question uh, what was that yeah called love maps call love maps and so this comes in an app it comes in a physical set of cards where basically it's just open-ended uh questions that as you read out you respond to them um as if it was your spouse so it, it gives you an opportunity to kind of explore how much do you know your spouse and if for whatever reason you don't know the answer to that specific question then great there's another opportunity then for your spouse to be able to speak and make make himself or herself known mm. to you. Yeah. Um, and oftentimes we've started doing those questions, and then half hour later we're talking about twenty different different other things. But that what that did was it opened up, um, you know, an opportunity for us to just connect and have this long t- conversation that we would have otherwise had a hard time just getting to, just trying to figure out what to talk about and totally. what to on the couch yeah because i think a lot of a lot of people like the idea of well let's just sit down and talk like uh no uh, <laughs> how was your day fine how was yours good yeah, okay let's sounds, watch netflix now what <laughs> yeah uh, that sounds that sounds so inti- i mean to me that sounds so intimidating mm-hmm. like let's just sit on the, on the couch and talk and like i picture us like drinking tea and, <laughs> and um, now there's anything wrong with that now there's anything wrong with sure. tea tea's great uh, for all of our listeners from across the pond yeah uh, but um but like these, these cards, they're, they're not, so they're not sexual questions. Right. They're, they seem like relatively innocuous questions. Mm-hmm. Like, like describe your, you know, your partner's, uh, your spouse's favorite meal. Uh, okay. How does that improve emotional intimacy? Well, if I'm able mm-hmm. to describe what her favorite meal was, then she, at the end of it, she feels like, oh man, he knows me. If, if I sit there and I think, man, I don't know what it is. Is it this or this or this? Uh, what is it? And then she's able to answer it. And, and again, at the end of it, like Rebecca said, oh, he knows me, mm-hmm. you know, and, and vice versa. So so they're they're really just like questions. That sit. There's another um, another set of cards that we use called table topics. Mm-hmm. And again, like totally, totally innocuous, like non non uh, sexual, like they're not deep questions. Not recovery based. No, yeah. like like what would you rather have um, for your back porch uh, mountain view or an ocean view? Yeah. And, but all of a sudden, like we're talking for like together. 15 yeah. minutes about yeah. this and what yeah. we love and oh man, I remember that one time we went to the mountains and how great that was. And so things like that, that, that really just help to, yeah. to create conversation and knowing each other and without having the pressure of whatever. Well, so yeah, go ahead. Well, I just, it's funny because, you know, me and my wife, we just had our first kid a year and a half ago and it's easy to feel like we've spent quality time together if we're just sitting in bed watching TV or both on our phones or whatever, like 
it just it, it it feels like in some ways or it looks like we're spending time together but in a lot of times we're not like we're not connecting emotionally and so it's just funny because i think so many married couples get to this point where they realize oh i have to be intentional about spending time with my spouse i see them right. every day i come home to them i share the, the same bed with them i eat meals with them but that doesn't mean that you're connecting that doesn't mean you're you're actually doing relationship together yeah. Yeah, and that's exactly what I would say being intentional. And being intentional about what you do with your time together, whether you have kids or not. Obviously, if you have kids, you have to be even more intentional because your time is a little bit less or limited. Um, but just being able to be intentional, okay, we're gonna go on dates. How often are we gonna go on mm-hmm. dates? What are we going to do on that date? Mm-hmm. Uh who is going to plan that date? Even that, like because just e- those things and just being able to be intentional about that goes a long way in terms of your, you know, you feeling connected and being able to communicate and, and feeling intimate. Yeah. One of the other things I think we recommend is, and it's something that we started doing that has worked out really well for us is every Sunday night we sit down and we go over our schedule, our schedule, our calendar for the week ahead. And again, that sounds so unromantic, mm-hmm. but, <laughs> but in that, but in that conversation, mm-hmm. we're talking about what is going on in each other's lives. Mm-hmm. We're talking about the things that we would like to do. And then in that time too, we plan out personal time for each other yeah. that, you know, Rebecca gets some alone time. I get some alone time. She, we plan out time for her to spend time with friends and vice versa. And so just yeah. in sitting down and having that conversation, again, we're engaging with each other and it's something that we've actually, that we just do weekly. And it feels like mm-hmm. we're working together as a team. Mm-hmm. So important. Yeah. It's yeah. cool. I know in our recovery, a couple of things we did that created emotional intimacy. Uh, we had a weekly check-in night where I would share my faster scale uh, mm-hmm. And and that was really teaching me to speak the language of emotions because on each category of the faster scale, it's how does this make you feel and how does the important people in your life feel? And my wife would talk about how my procrastination or my getting um, overly busy with work, how that was making her feel. And it it just kind of became the systematic way that we were sharing on an emotional level because I, I mean, I feel like I'm a fairly sensitive guy, but I just realized I didn't know how to share what I was feeling with my wife. I would just mm-hmm. be like, well, I'm frustrated. And I didn't ever know why. But as we started going through that, I could understand what I was feeling and have a, a way to share it with her. And the other thing we found incredibly helpful, and a lot of this honestly happened because we had to drive half an hour to and from our group, was just taking time every week to share what I was learning personally about myself in the group. Now that, that didn't mean I always shared some nitty gritty details because in your group work, you might get down to some pretty in-depth levels that wouldn't necessarily be helpful or appropriate to share with a spouse. But so many of the questions are about like your past, your history, how did your family of origin make you feel? And to start to open up about those things with one another created the conversations, honestly, we had never had before. I mean, it was like, yeah. how, how have we been married 10 years and not talked about <laughs> my relationship with my dad in this way or your relationship with your mom? Or it, it just took us to a new level. And so if you and your spouse are both in a group, that's one way don't yep. don't read each other's homework because you don't want to get to where you're filtering your answers because all oh, my spouse is going to read this but right. voluntarily sharing things you're learning about yourself can really help them a not only connect with you but b they realize wow this group they're really engaging and mm-hmm. they'll be much more supportive of your group um, experience yeah absolutely well, guys, let's um, think about someone maybe listening who's been pretty skeptical still, and they're like, I've been hurt by them. I don't want to talk about sex. It's off the table until they've been healthy or they just think this is a non-issue. They don't want to deal with it. Maybe give that person a couple of tips on why is sex during recovery so helpful? How can it really be an advantage or a benefit to a couple working through this process? Yeah. Yeah. 
I think it kind of goes back uh, to one of the main ideas that we use in recovery at Pure Desire, and that's that you've been wounded in relationship, you need to be healed in relationship. Mm -hmm. And uh, if sex, again, for, for any of the parties involved, has been something where brokenness and pain and trauma have become mixed with that as mm -hmm. a behavior, as an activity, as a part mm -hmm. of relationship, then them being able to uh, have sex now in a relationship where there is safety, where there is respect, where there is communication, that just taking the risk mm -hmm. of um, making yourself vulnerable, because I mean, obviously, being naked with another person, that's vulnerable. Mm -hmm. So, you know, making yourself vulnerable, taking that risk, uh, and doing it in a way where, where people do feel safe and respected, now all of a sudden this becomes a, a healing experience as opposed to one that is just re-traumatizing or um, perpetuating any of the, the beliefs or experiences that we have. Which is then, you know, the practical way of uh, reprogramming your brain and, you know, your limbic lies and limbic system that's built within us uh, as it's experiential to replace those old uh, lies and patterns and fears, we have to replace those with positive new experiences. And so this becomes part of that practical way of doing that within your marriage, within your within your spouse uh, in recovery to be able to experience uh, sexual intimacy in a very positive and healing way. Yeah. And with that said, if you're in recovery, but your spouse is not mm -hmm. and sex is not safe, then then there's not an obligation for you to be sexual with somebody that you are not safe with mm -hmm. and yeah. that might again that might upset up a lot upset a lot of people but the reality is is like that is your body mm -hmm. and uh if you're in a relationship where you're being abused or you're not being cared for or it's yeah. not safe for you then by no means are we recommending that you take Absolutely. a risk and put yourself in, in an abusive yeah. situation or in harm's way mm -hmm. uh you know because again this is about being healthy and and having sex does not equal health. Mm -hmm. So yeah. uh, what we're saying is if, if health is something that's able to be established and reached in a relationship, yeah. then sex is appropriate. Mm -hmm. But if your relationship isn't safe, if there's not emotional connection, if addiction has been the, the main role or sex has been mainly a part of addiction, then sex is really out of place mm -hmm. in your relationship. Mm -hmm. And that's why all this recovery stuff is so important. Uh, because is, if people aren't, if you as a couple, if you as an individual are not healthy, then sex will just continue to be out of place because mm -hmm. it's being misused. Well, and that can be a really powerful and appropriate way for one spouse to communicate to the other why they're not willing to have sex. They may yeah. go to them and say, you are routinely looking at pornography. I've told you how that makes me feel. And when we have sex, I don't feel safe. I don't feel valued. And, right. and so I'm not going to be able to enter into that if you're not addressing this topic. And that's yeah. not being mean-spirited or, as you said earlier, punitive, but sharing honestly, this isn't a safe experience for me, and I can't willingly do something that makes me feel unsafe and, and violated. And that, yeah. in a relationship, could be, we've seen guys show up in groups, it's like, well, my wife said if I don't do, you know, and they're mad and upset about it. But it's the motivation that got them going. And if they'll stick with it, we'll see a few weeks or months down the road, they're getting it and there's some change mm -hmm. happening. So that's just one way a spouse might appropriately share. If you're unwilling to change, it makes me unsafe and we need to address this. Well, and I think that one of the things that we can talk ourselves into, and, and Bob, you kind of, I think one of you either mentioned it earlier, the idea of, well, if I don't, 
if I don't give sex to my spouse, then I'm somehow pushing them further into their addiction. And the reality is, is you are not responsible for your spouse's healing. They're responsible for their healing. And so not to put that responsibility on yourself because then, you know, maybe you are putting yourself in situations you're not safe because you're afraid or fearful that this person is going to then go and act out. But ultimately we have to get to a place where that's not on me. That's not my responsibility. My responsibility is to uh, is to pursue my own health and to make sure that, that I'm safe. Uh, and so I just think that that's something we can so easily fall into is that feeling that responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's, there's, there's also a belief that, uh, we have that, uh, particularly I think as Christians, that if you're married, then, then sex is appropriate. Mm -hmm. And I think what we're saying is that that is, that is not the determining factor on whether or not sex is appropriate. Um, mutual respect, emotional intimacy, health, safety, that makes sex appropriate. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of people that will say, well, no, we're married. So like, that's what, that's what makes this blessed. Yeah. No, I'm sorry. Like if you, if you're using your spouse to masturbate, um, then no, how is that blessed? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Like there's so much that, that happens on the emotional side of things that makes sex appropriate. Uh, that, again, I think as, as just as Christians, we sometimes miss that idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So guys, we end every episode really with this, this idea of just giving final encouragement. So if we have listeners out there who are in the midst of the recovery process, maybe they're at the front end, or maybe they're, they're finishing up and starting to really experiencing, uh, some, some freedom, getting some traction when it comes to sexual intimacy and its role in recovery, what just final encouragements would you have to any of our listeners? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The first one, again, is this idea that frequency does not equal health. Uh, what equals health is health. Health mm-hmm. equals health. Yeah, that's so good. And, uh, you know, and so yeah. there, there's a lot of there's a lot of people where it's like, well, if we're having it this often, then our sex life is healthy. And if we're only having it this often, then our sex life is not healthy. Yeah. And and I don't think that that's the case for some couples. Uh, what be, what they realize in their health is that, you know, maybe they have sex twice a month and for them that like, that's good. Mm-hmm. They enjoy that. They feel connected. They feel intimate. They feel all of those things. Um, for some, it's more often than that. And the reality is, is that however often you're having sex now, you're not going to have that much sex probably 20 years from now. So like just to get used to the idea already that frequency does not equal health. Yeah. yeah. And, and to get to that point, you, you as a couple need to, uh, be very intentional about communicating, learning how to communicate, learning how, learning how to be open and honest and vulnerable with each other so that even having that conversation about frequency can be just a normal, trivial, you know, day-to-day conversation that you're mm-hmm. able to have without just feeling all this uh, turmoil about just approaching the conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and also the reminder that uh, this isn't about sex. Right. This is about your own health. Yeah. This is about you being who God mm-hmm. created you to be. Uh, this is about, you know, the process of sanctification of you mm-hmm. learning to be who God's made you to be without being affected by all the brokenness of the past. Mm-hmm. And so um, better sex will be the byproduct of a healthier person. Yeah. Pursue, pursue that. Yeah. And Trevor, I think my final encouragement today would be to be patient and to be gracious, uh, both with your spouse and with yourself. If you're in recovery, this is an emotional time. It's a difficult time. There are good days. There are bad days. There's hard times. There's easy times. And so you may have an evening where you feel rejected and you can jump to these, what's wrong with her? What's wrong with me? Um, Kind of overreacting. 
And there's just going to be days you don't connect and you miscommunicate and to just take a deep breath to have grace for yourself, grace for your spouse, be patient and trust the process of recovery and growth. Um, I, I think that's really necessary. So just um, don't get too worked up over any one experience or one week. Just continue in that patience and grace and allow this process to create health in your lives. Yeah. You know, you guys both, uh, both Nick and the Vandermeers, you guys have been married a lot longer than I have. Um, but just something that I have, I've learned uh, really to apply to my life is that to understand that we live in a culture that likes to play the comparison game. So if this is what's healthy for this couple, that must be what's healthy for me and my spouse. And every marriage, every couple, every scenario is going to be different. And so to not play that comparison game, that if a couple, like Bob, you were saying, if a couple has sex two times a month and that's great for them, that doesn't mean that I also have to try it twice a month in order to be healthy. It could be once a month or it could be 18 times a month. Like it does, you know what I mean? Like it doesn't, yeah, that's so good, it doesn't Trevor. matter. So just focus on your relationship and being the healthiest person you can be with your spouse and don't worry about other people's marriages. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, and it's progress, not perfection. Yeah. Got such a good word. Yeah. So, uh, Vandermeers, you guys are awesome. Uh, just, you guys are super, super smart and, uh, you're pretty and we like, uh, we like you on the podcast. So, uh, just sharing from your experience, your vulnerability, your expertise is really, really helpful. Um, so for anybody really they're listening in order to truly progress to freedom in recovery from sexual addiction, they, you know, the Vandermeers told us they need to have a shared healing. They need to have a shared language. They need to be both getting healthy. It can't just be one-sided. So sex during the recovery process is one of the ways couples need healing. Like Rebecca said, they need this reset. So learning to not just be physically intimate, but becoming emotionally intimate is such, such an important thing, not just in the sex life of a couple, but in the health of that marriage. So uh, Bob, Rebecca, you guys are awesome. Thanks so much for your time. Thank yeah, you guys. You guys are awesome too. And thank you for listening to the Pure Desire podcast. If you like what you're hearing and want to keep up with the podcast, please subscribe. You can also rate and review our podcast and let us know how we're doing. For more information, check out our website, puredesire.org. And you can follow us on social media at Pure Desire PDMI. Once again, that's at Pure Desire PDMI. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Pure Desire podcast. For more information, check out our website, www.puredesire.org. Check in each week for new content on the podcast, and we pray that it will help you find hope and freedom on your journey to purity. Here's what's coming up next week on the Pure Desire podcast. Every woman that takes a breath. This is going to be one of our best resources that we've ever put out. They're wanting to be married. They're wanting to be sexual. And they're saying, what does this even look like? Is it even okay to have these discussions? I think that's one of the things that's interesting about women who struggle is that we don't take good care of ourselves. Right. We, we are the last person. And sometimes we are taking care of everybody else. But we're the last person that we take care of. And that, I think, is my favorite part about these resources.